We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. John McCackney, Mario Puig here. Today, we are talking all about rookies. We are a week away from the combine getting underway officially with workouts getting started next Thursday. We're going to unpack a lot of guys that we're expecting to do well. Uh, We're going to get into some rookie best ball ADP, some guys that we like, some guys we don't like at their current ADP. And we're also going to get into Mario's tight end rookie article. So a lot to get to today. Let's get the show on the road. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. You can go ahead, sign up at Underdog Fantasy using the promo code RWNFL. Get that deposit match up to 100 bucks. Get a six-month Roadwire subscription on the house. John McKechnie, Mario Puig hanging out on this Thursday. We are a week away from the Combine, Mario. Lot to get into uh, as far as that is concerned, and and uh, you know, spe- speaking of underdog, also uh, both of us have dogs in our relative or in our in our respective vicinities today. So th- this pod, as the kids are saying, it's got that dog in it. It actually could have barking in it. Like I might yeah. have, sometimes I need to hit the mic mute and run away and chase my dog. I don't know how obvious that is, but um, we could both be doing that. So uh, if we both stop talking. It's either the internet failing for one or both of us, or uh, we're just getting the dogs corralled and it, you know, give, give us just a couple seconds. We'll probably be back. Yeah, the the dogs, uh, they they do as they please. So if if uh, they they hear someone delivering a package outside or something, uh, they're gonna let the listeners know about it. Um, that's just this is kind of how it is, but we're gonna rock and roll with it uh, nonetheless. Um, but Mario, uh, let, let's get it rolling here. So again, the the combine. Uh, get started um, with, with workouts next Thursday. They, they've kind of uh, shifted up or switched up, at least from what I can remember, the, the order in which the workouts are taking place because last year, Thursday and Friday, was the, the skill position guys. Uh, this year, it's going to be over the weekend. So that it's kind of a, a bit of a shakeup where we're going to have offensive linemen, d- defensive players uh, going on the Thursday and Friday. But we're obviously... Uh, more more so focused on the fantasy uh, side of things here. So 
in your mind, I, I want to start things off with, with Jackson Smith in Jigba. I think he's one of the the trickier prospects to to get a firm firm grasp on for for this particular class because uh, on the one hand, when he has played, it's been nothing short of dominant. I mean, everyone remembers the Rose Bowl performance that he had uh, at the end of the 2021 season. Um, you know, he, he ate, I think he set the single game uh, reception record for Ohio State against Nebraska um, earlier in that season when I think it was Garrett Wilson uh, that was sidelined for, for that particular game. Uh, you know, so he was putting up big numbers alongside two guys that were, you know, uh, among the rookie of the year leaders uh, this past season, including the winner, of course. And then everyone was expecting him to, to completely destroy it this year. I bet on him to win the Heisman. I didn't think it was a bad bet uh, until it was uh, pulled his hamstring against Notre Dame. And we never really heard from him again. And, and frankly, it's hard to blame him for, for not really pushing to, to get back on, on the field. You know, Ohio State certainly had things to play for. They made the playoff and everything. But also Jackson Smith and Jigba, if he knows that he's going to be a potential first rounder, why mess up your hamstring? So um, I think the expectation He's, he's going to be ready to go here, but where are you with him and and uh, and what do you expect from him at the Combine this week? Well, the Combine, I don't have much of a specific expectation. Like To me, the Combine is actually where uh, I go and largely learn about how wrong I was about stuff. So I, I don't... <laughs> I try to not get too specific of an idea of how big or fast absolutely everybody, you know, not, not beyond like generalization anyway. So in the case of Smith and Jigba, I'm kind of like, well, he, you know, doesn't seem like a burner exactly. He doesn't seem as fast as Garrett Wilson or even Chris Olave, who uh, Chris Olave doesn't look quite as fast as, as Wilson, uh, even though Olave is quite fast himself. So um, if Olave is a little bit, you know, the slow one of the two at four, three, nine, I would guess Smith and Jigba would be, you know, more likely a four five flat than a four four flat. But I don't, you know, I was like surprised when Justin Jefferson ran a four four three. So uh, it's just kind of easy to to not get an accurate sense of of the very specific speed and size a player has, especially based, you know, on on game tape that might not be the same frame that they report to the combine with. So uh, especially if, if Smith and Jigbo is playing at 200 and he shows up surprisingly light at like 190, uh, he better run faster than expected too. Uh, but if he shows up at like 210 or something surprisingly heavy, um, you know, that there's a you know diminishing return to uh, added weight after a certain point. But if he can come in at a basically like a size bigger than expected and then still run as fast as expected, you know, like four, five, one to four, four, eight, those would all be really good outcomes for him, but his listed height weight is 6'1", 200. So at that, I'd want him to ideally break the 4'5 flat mark to, to really cleanly project as like a credible outside receiver because what we know now is he's a credible slot receiver at least. And um, in the in the Jefferson case, the 4'4", 3 changed a lot. Like I at least kind of assumed he was more like a 4'5 guy, 4'5", 5 rather. And uh, so, you know, the 4'4", 3, that's different from 4'5", 5. It, it could the difference of which could kind of explain like why one guy is a good outside receiver and the other is better fit in the slot. So uh, worst case scenario in any case for Smith and Jigba is something like Amon Ross St. Brown. Like if he runs a four, six, which would be far short of expectations, he would still, I think grade as kind of like a top 40 ish kind of player 
just because I think in hindsight, Amon Ross St. Brown probably would have gone in the first 40 picks, even though he was like a four, six guy. So if, if you had a preference and obviously that this is theoretical, but um, with based on the, the listed height weight for, for Smith and Jigba, would you prefer him to, to come in a little bit heavier or, or a little bit lighter? Because I, I remember last year kind of raising an eyebrow when, uh, both Wilson and Olave were were both, I believe, under 185 pounds. Uh, Wilson was like 183, and Olave, I think, was 187 or 189. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it was under 190 for sure. And um, I can't remember what those guys were listed at. Uh, but uh, yeah, if I guess you could kind of reason that a, a similar uh, margin of error could apply. And and Smith and Jigba doesn't look huge exact. Not that Amon Ross and Brown does either. And he, even though he's like well built. Uh, but yeah, it's not a, it's not like an obvious bulkiness kind of thing to Smith and Jigba. So if he, if he came in a little lighter, it wouldn't be shocking. Uh, but I, I think as to the ideal, uh, you know, weight versus speed trade-off, it, it kind of depends on what you want to use him for. Like if he's, if he's only playing in the slot, uh, then it doesn't hurt to add some weight. Cause it's like, he's, he's not going to be doing anything, uh, like a four six kind of range forty is usually enough to function in the slot. So if he's running a four five five, but he's still skinnyish, it's not as it's not worth as much to me as being uh, a little bit heavier and going to the four six spot. So, uh, but if he can be faster than that, if he can, if if it's on the table that he'd be fast enough to play outside, then that's the weight you want him at because it's like the more spots you can line up at, the higher his upside. No, absolutely. So. Um... He's obviously fascinating, and then you know what? What is your expectation on on him right now? Not not necessarily with with the combine workouts, but from what you gathered from uh, from this limited sample that we have on him, are are you big pro? Like, is he a top three receiver for you? Or yeah, I mean, pre combine rankings, I've, I have him at two behind Addison, and Addison and Smith and Jigba are, are the same category of prospect in terms of their production. Uh, they both went nuts at uh, age eight, uh, age 19. Well, Addison had a really big true freshman season, too. Uh, just it was not as uh, insane as his sophomore one at 19. And Smith and Jigba, uh, particularly after the Utah game, had, had really insane numbers and at the same age point. Uh, but Addison uh, is, is much thinner and, and probably safely shorter than Smith and Jigba. So Smith and Jigba matches the numbers that Addison posts at presumably upwards of 25 pounds lighter, then that would be a way for Smith and Jigba to go from two to one. Uh, but if he runs more like a four, six, and if Quentin Johnston uh, does even better than expected, or I guess in that case, if Smith, if Quentin Johnson just did what was generally expected, he would be in position to jump to two at uh, Smith and Jigba's expense. So um, I think Smith and Jigba's, safely graded as a first round pick to me. And I, th- I think if he were to grade as less than that, then it's because the, the athletic testing was just, uh, you know, not Jarvis Landry bad. That would probably take him to like the second round late second round. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 I don't think it'll be like that. I think it'll be more like he's, he's kind of like slightly above average as an athlete. And then uh, as a prospect, you would still grade him as like a first round type because his, production at Ohio state implies basically like first round level skills. Uh, right. Even if he doesn't have like, you know, the, the, the kind of upside that can make him uh, the kind of athleticism that can make him like a top 10 receiver in the NFL or whatever. It is uh borderline dizzying 
to think about the re- receiver talent that's come through Ohio State in recent years. Um, yeah, you know, I, I thought that they had uh, impressive receivers in the Michael Thomas era. Uh, you know, but I think that yeah. things went wrong with 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 like Devin Smith for for example, and and stuff like that. But, but Curtis Samuel obviously is like a is, is kind of a what could have been type of guy, but. Uh, you have Garrett Wilson, you have Chris Olave, you have Jackson Smith and Jigba, and then you know next year you're gonna have uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka. It's preposterous. It it is insane uh, what they've gotten to, to go through Columbus. Uh, Brian Hartline, uh, kind of really the catalyst uh, behind a lot of that. Um, he, he's gotten these guys in the door and really just turned. It, I mean, these are all super talented guys. Talented guys want to go to Ohio State now. Uh, but he, I mean, I think he's been able to kind of develop a, a whole other level for for a lot of these guys as well. Uh, sure seems like it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, they also had uh, you know Terry McLaurin and Campbell before that, and that's I, I actually mentioned that quickly because Campbell outproduced Terry McLaurin by quite a bit, uh, and it was probably because he was running from the slot quite a lot more and the, the, the routes were easier there. So one thing I wouldn't do is assume that on the basis of production that Smith and Jigba is better than Olave or Garrett Wilson. I, I don't think he is. Uh, I think it's more likely. Um, although I, it is worth mentioning too, that Olave and Wilson both vouch for him and they, you know, try to direct all praise toward him rather than uh, themselves. So Smith and Jigba is going to be some version of good. I think it's just the question we're waiting on is like, is he really going to be uh, another like all pro kind of player from that school. And uh, is he going to be like another Justin Jefferson case, or is he going to be more like merely a good starting receiver in the NFL? You'd think that they've just been stacking national championships uh, over over that span. Interesting. Um, Let's talk about some more guys that that were expecting uh, to do well at the upcoming combine. Uh, Quentin Johnson kind of comes to the the top of mind. Uh, I know you mentioned him. In your breakdown, talking about you know sorting sorting out the the top tier of receiver, what what does him stamping the the expectation look like for you? Well, uh, I think he's going to be six three or six two rather than six four. Not that that matters to me. I'm not. It's probably uh, I think good. A, yeah, I mean, there's a tendency for people to watch watch the number go up at height and think that it's just good no matter how high the number gets. But at, at a certain point, it, it just doesn't really do anything helpful. At the very least. Uh, even if it's not becoming a hindrance. And at 6'2 or 6'3, Johnson is still a big receiver. And uh, whatever his specific height, uh, I think it's safe to say that his wingspan is going to be, you know, maybe like some kind of record-setting thing for uh, his height or lower. Uh, I, I guess it would be almost like physically impossible for him to have like long, longer arms than whatever Burris and Hakeem Butler and guys like that. But for like 6'2, 6'3, he might set the record for arm length. And um, I, I don't know what to make of that exactly. In theory, what that would do is, I mean, it, it clearly gives you more reach. And, and so, like, the, the theory would be with that reach, you basically make more better jump ball catches, you know, present with a catch radius, uh, the opportunity to catch more passes because you can uh, reach more areas. And that would certainly apply when he's, like, open on the sideline, you know, making a circus catch or something. But I don't know watching Johnson if I think he's got an over-the-middle in traffic kind of game, like whereas no. DeAndre Hopkins and Des Bryant, like they use their wingspans and just kind of go up at the rim and snatch the ball whenever they want. Uh, whereas with Johnson, I feel like he's kind of um, 
I don't know what you'd call it. Like he's he's just he's just more like linear and kind of like uh, I, f- I feel like he he's got kind of like a javelin sort of motion to him where it's like it like yeah it can go far and fast but like you also need like wind up space and it doesn't you know it's not exactly the best for trying to uh pin make like pinpoint you know throws or whatever um but he definitely looks like some kind of very fast and you know you're probably gonna probably a good candidate to have like a 40 plus vertical or something like that and um he's he's definitely got some kind of wide receiver skill set like he's uh, even if even if Johnston's largely been productive at TCU just because of his like raw athleticism, he's not just a t- total you know track guy running around. Like he, I, I'm a little bit worried about the TCU offense making it kind of difficult to evaluate him relative to to the conditions that we can evaluate other receivers in. But I'm not I'm not worried about it being one of those things like all those Baylor receivers where it's like the explanation of his production is just that he's a fast guy in this art Bryles offense where uh, if you have enough fast guys and you can play wide enough splits, it's going to be productive in college, but you can't run those plays in the NFL. So it's like, you see all these Baylor receivers who are so productive and a lot of them are even legitimately big and fast players, but only Josh Gordon ever did anything in the NFL out of like eight of these guys that, that got mm-hmm. you know really big numbers there. So, I worry about TCU being a little bit like that because they definitely play that really, really spread out, uh, really vertical, uh, lots of like moving parts in a way that creates space and buys time in a way that you'll never see in the NFL field because like the rules literally prohibit it. Um, Like you can't line up the same way and they don't place the ball in the same spots and it's like you can't run the same formation. So uh, you won't see the Bryles offense in the NFL. So you won't see these guys in the Bryce offense in the college level translate the same way to the NFL. Um, with that said, the worst case scenario that I'm working toward with Quentin Johnson is probably something like Donovan Peoples Jones, who's still, uh, I think turning out to be a good starter. Um, the question is like, does, does he, does Quentin Johnson have an actual, uh, either in the present developed wide receiver skill set, And if he doesn't, can he develop it still? Or uh, is he a guy who's kind of like a finished product and sort of produced quite to the extent that he did because of, you know, like that, that just kind of big 12 spread uh, kind of incidental production that tends to happen. I I think he's going to be good. I I just, I am not particularly um, like some people I think are looking at Johnston are kind of like, this could be like the next, you know, mega, you know, monster Uh, receiver. And I'm not quite there. I I think he's, I think it'll be like a really good, you know, big play wide receiver two kind of player. Yeah. I, I don't really know how to for like formulate this p- opinion, flesh it out, but color me skeptical uh, on him that there, there's some rawness there. Um, that I worry I, I about think. him in the, um, like in traffic and in the intermediate and stuff like that. But um, for instance, I, I would really like him with the chargers. Cause if you had him running the Mike Williams routes, I think he would get, a better return for it, but I don't think he could run, you know, like yards zero through you know 10, like Williams could, or, uh, you know, m- maybe a, most starting receivers actually. Yeah. Uh, the, there's something to that. Um, I, I think, you know, point well made as, as it pertains to what, what the offense and the route tree formations looked like at TCU versus how they will, uh, look in the NFL. And, you know, he just got so many looks where, like, he's just lined up against guys that aren't going to be playing in the NFL and just 
dusts him and you know like it it just isn't going to set up for him to be playing on easy mode quite as much um and i do think he could do like christian watson stuff though but the the thing about mm-hmm. that is it's like your your target your general usage uh, rate is capped and at that point you need to make high yards per target high touchdown percentage kind of returns or it just won't add up to that much even if you're some version of explosive and efficient otherwise so uh, i will say i think johnson's clearly a better prospect than someone like watts unless unless johnson like totally bombs in the 40 like I will, I will say, while I'm not considering it a possibility, I guess in some way it might be worth mentioning. If a guy like Quentin Johnson, whose primary basis of his value is his uh, suspected athleticism, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't turn out to be that suspected athlete, there's a harsh, there should be a harsh penalty for that in yes. a coherent evaluation. But I, I do think he is that kind of, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, like just, just, just beneath a 4-5, probably like 40 inch vertical stuff like that. And I, I think it'll be a good, like, I don't know, guy who gives you like a hundred and to 120 targets at his peak, but never more than that. Yeah. So again, not a finished product, wide range of outcomes for him. But what, one thing that we do kind of keep coming back to is he does need to uh, test as a, a well above average athlete. people will try to give him points work. twice for that people will if he if he runs like a four four two you'll have people being like oh my god look he's fast raise him in the rankings like no he should no. already be wherever he is because he's fast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So speaking speaking of a, a guy like that, I, I think that Jalen Hyatt kind of has a, a similar rep, not not as a, as a freak athlete, uh, the way that Quentin Johnson is with, with the with the you know size speed combo, but I think Hyatt's somebody where like the burden of proof is on him to to be someone that's like a sub four four because I, I think that a lot of the production for him. Kind of similar to what you're saying about the the Braz offense, like the the Josh Heupel offense at Tennessee, not always going to be the most applicable thing in the world. Very similar, yeah. And you know, this isn't me, you know, using Valus Jones against Jalen Hyatt. I think Jalen Hyatt. No, do it. it. (laughs) He's he's a different player, and he was awesome this year. And I I think that he even you know came into the year with, with Cedric Tillman, kind of expected to be the Batman. Tillman. Hurts his ankle. Hyatt needs to pick up the slack, and he does in pretty amazing fashion. Um, I think it was kind of a down year for the SEC overall, um, as far as the, the competition was concerned. Obviously, did well um, against Alabama. That that certainly a mark in his favor. Um, Hen- Hendon Hooker gets hurt at the end of the year, so that that kind of like Mars things doesn't play in the bowl game. But either way, I thought thought Hyatt did well. But uh, I think that people will look at the production and not really contextualize it. So I, I think that there, there's a little bit of a need for him to, to really stand out as an, as an athlete for, for this to, to really kind of start to make sense as a NFL pro projection. Yeah. Hyatt is, um, it's, it is a lot of the same uh, system and, and thus production concerns as with Quentin Johnson, only they applied for me much greater magnitude. Like, Jalen Hyatt, um, he's supposed to be like the fastest receiver in the class, right? He's supposed to be faster than uh, than uh, Johnston because uh, yep. he's at large part just you know, smaller too. But uh, so I, I I I don't know how to evaluate Hyatt because I don't watch his tape and see that many plays that look like NFL plays. But there, there's some sort of in itself some sort of currency to being as fast as he's supposed to be and doing what he's done to this point. Like he's, he's, he's not going to be like a guy who gets cut in training camp. We, we know that, but you're seeing some advocacy for him in the first round. And that's, uh, that's where I start to wonder, not that I actually believe in this, the, the thing about like, this guy comes from this school where that, this always happens with those kinds of players or whatever. But Tennessee does have an odd tradition of like, false uh downfield speed guys just like not turning out like I guess Robert Meacham wasn't bad exactly but like that's that's one category of that kind of player where um you know they put up big numbers and they were even fast but they they still didn't do anything in the NFL like I guess Justin Hunter was kind of like that but um Mm -hmm. Jalen Hyatt is to me he's kind of at best and I don't even know what this means to me exactly but he, he he at best to me is a rich man's Anthony Schwartz. And mm. I don't know if I even believe that in the sense that like, 
I, I truly don't believe Hyatt is definitely going to be a better player than Schwartz because I think if you put Schwartz and his speed at the age that Hyatt was when he produced these numbers in the Tennessee offense, Schwartz could make those plays. It's like screens and just fly routes. And I, I think Schwartz uh, has some obvious limitations as a receiver, but I think he can run in a straight line just fine. And I think he's even faster than, you know, he's supposed to be faster than Hyatt. So if I, if I can't convince myself that uh, Hyatt did anything that Anthony Schwartz couldn't, then uh, uh, that's obviously like a bad place to be left at. Like I, I, I don't know what to add to the story either. Like I, I'm wait, I'm curious to you know wait on more information. But in the meantime, we don't really know that Hyatt can do anything other than run in a straight line and be as particularly fast as he is. However fast that actually is, and uh, it's not faster than Schwartz. And I, I think uh, it's even a little bit concerning that Hyatt didn't get going until he turned 21. Like it's he's not old for a prospect. But he did basically nothing at Tennessee until he turned 21. So uh, between that, between the whole Baylor, by the way, uh, JT O'Sullivan, a former uh, NFL quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. has has a Hendon Hooker breakdown thing that uh, actually I, th- I would have to credit with pretty much help. Uh, I think explaining that Baylor offense all those years, like I could never figure out like how these receivers kept coming into the NFL being you know objectively very productive and objectively very athletic and failing over and over. And uh, he, he talks about it with Hooker, uh, you know, ra- raising a lot of the same concerns with him and, and I think thus Hyatt too. But uh, those plays just, they aren't happening in the NFL. And there's a question, it, it's possible that, that that player who made that play, whatever it was, can still be similarly effective in the NFL. But if they do, they objectively will not be running that play. It'll have to be something different. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to, to look into that breakdown that like Tennessee, like the, the offense was so screechingly productive this right, year. It was, you see it with uh, Baylor, you saw it with, um, God, there's just, uh, there's somebody else too that I was thinking of. Um, but, uh, it's, it's this, it's like over and over these, these guys, uh, it's, it's just, uh, they're so productive because they're basically track guys running f- screens, flies, post routes, on a, on a field where there's all this space for them that uh, you can't cover that space with guys that fast. It's just impossible. You know, you know, speaking of Tennessee and the, in the Tennessee narrative, someone that we, we do need to kind of uh, put all of our eggs in, in a basket on for, for next year. They got a guy named squirrel white Mario. We need him to do good. <laughs> squirrel. White. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a, that's, I like that much better than pig Howard. And I didn't like that name. <laughs> squirrel squirrel is much less. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's less like, I don't, I don't, I don't like have a bad smell coming into my head at the thought of it. It's, it's more like a harmless cartoon character than this mud covered, you know, turd ball. Yeah. Squ- squirrel, like it, and it, it just feels like it fits Tennessee. I don't know. It there's something that just feels right about it. Um, the squirrel Southern. Um, let's. See, I mean, uh, famously Georgia's Ben Cleveland. That guy ate, ate a lot of squirrel in his day. He's from somewhere in the, in the sticks down here. Um, pig Howard. That just kind of reminds me of the Honey Boo Boo episode of South Park. I'm getting a pig heart. Um, I haven't seen that one. It sounds horrifying. Oh, it's it's so funny. Uh, I just watched that again for the first time in like a decade. Amazing. Um, but any other guys with with a little something to prove or, or 
guys that we're expecting to, to have standout performances at the combine before we get into some uh, underdog ADP? Oh, well, I think pretty much all the running backs have a lot to gain or lose, except for Devin Achain, who's supposed to be extremely fast. He just he's like one of those guys who won't get any points if he does it, uh, but could lose if he doesn't. Uh, Israel Abanaconda, I thought, looked like he might be like a sub four five guy. And if he's 215 plus and running in the four fours, that I think uh, solidifies him as as, um, a totally solid day two option. So, uh, yeah, expect Keaton Mitchell to run fast. Hope he does. He, he yes. will also have a problem if he doesn't run fast. Ty J. Spears kind of in that boat to uh, wide receiver. I, I really want to see Tyler Scott run. I want to see all these these uh, light receivers run because I, I it's easier for me to get over concerns about their frame if I know they're very fast. And the Cincinnati guy, Tyler Scott, uh, I didn't know about him until I was going, you know, what I thought was into the, the – sticks with my wide receiver rankings and it turns out i think tyler scott's actually going to be uh a high pick like maybe even like a top 40 kind of pick uh, especially if as his player page at cincinnati claims he can run a 429 uh they said they said that and a lot of times that, excuse me a lot of times that stuff turns out to be like a 438 but that mm-hmm. would still be good and he, he still has great numbers so um he's he's a guy who uh, has a lot to lose if he doesn't turn out to be as fast as expected, but I think would generate a ton of hype if he runs even like a four, three, like a lot of people are in the boat that I was three days ago or whatever. Like they don't even know who Tyler Scott is. And uh-huh. if he runs something kind of fast because they don't know his name already. And because he hasn't had this valuation solidified already on the basis of his suspected speed, people are going to be like, Oh crap. You know, the novelty of it will, uh, I think, really generate a lot of hype really fast with him um but yeah I had, a, a lot. I had a lot of trouble with with him and trey tucker this year picking the right one for for dfs contests there'd be a lot of weeks where, where scott was the right answer and i'm like 80 percent tucker t- type of deal um but learn my lesson enough to to know that that scott has some really intriguing traits to him but yeah i, I really like him a lot uh a couple of your guys at Maryland are worth watching, especially Rakeem Jarrett. Like, yes. I don't, I don't know how – I don't have any particular sense of how athletic he's supposed to be or Can not we quickly be. bloviate on him? But, oh, yeah, five-star recruits very yeah. rarely show up to the combine and run a 4-6, you know? Yeah, Rakeem, Rakeem Jarrett, uh, for, for those who need a, a quick refresher, um, St. John's College High School in, in Washington, D.C., five-star recruit flipped from LSU – uh, to the University of Maryland uh, go for the 2020 uh, cycle, uh, was productive in limited fashion his freshman year, really took off his sophomore year, his true sophomore year in 2021. Uh, and that was a group that was pretty loaded at receiver, and yet he still was was able to go above the baseline. Uh, this past year, I felt like Talia Tagovailoa regressed a little bit. The, the supporting cast Elsewhere, what was not as strong at, at Maryland, you know, Dante Demas <clears throat> wasn't really himself. Jayshon Jones, like having to step up. Jacob Copeland didn't really end up doing Jared things. Had two that, injuries too. He had a concussion and a knee, I think. Jarrett. Yeah. 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 He. He. Uh, I think it was against Michigan or Michigan. Michigan yeah. State. Maybe he like landed on his head. It was yeah, kind of scary. But uh, the, I think he's one of those guys where if you're a film guy. You're going to love what you see. 
Um, I, I think he's got all like the the kind of clear by low right kit. now. By the way, mm-hmm. like he would have to test poorly to not have his because I the public just isn't caught up on him. Basically, the public is really behind on a lot of stuff right now with uh, the running backs and receivers and maybe even the tight ends. But this is yeah, Raheem Jarrett. Uh, he got off to a fast start, and then even this year, his like so-called down year, it was it was perfectly defensible, like you were saying. And with a guy like him particularly if he tests as well as expected, uh, people should think more about like, well, how would he have looked? What would we think of him if he had gone instead of to Maryland where, you know, production goes to die. If he instead had been playing at like Tennessee or something and like Rakeem Jarrett in that offense, it's not that I'm saying this would have made him a good NFL prospect. He could have been a fraud, but he would have put up numbers such that his, his public valuation right now would be almost the opposite of what it is. And Mm -hmm. um, when stuff like that, when, when details of perception hinge on such minuscule changes as that um, it it should get more thought from, you know, the people doing these rankings. And I I think you instead see something to the opposite. There's just a lot of low, low brow drivel basically catching on. And uh, I mean, whatever, I guess that gives us something to talk about. Yeah. And it's surprising to me that, that he's slipping through the crap cracks this way when he was such a big time recruit, like you usually that, that will buy you enough cachet at least to, for, for people to, to remember. Um, he was and, slipping in the crap in that Maryland offense last year, John. Oh, well, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. uh, it's almost like Stefan Diggs had that happen to him or something. Not yeah, that I'm saying that he's uh, Stefan Diggs, but I will say I mean, that there's well some parallels. Diggs, that would be, yeah. If he tests as well as Diggs, that would be, you know, it'd be hard to see, see me, it'd be hard for me to see, uh, Jarrett falling past round three in that case. Uh, and a lot of people I think are, un- are writing him off as like an undrafted or something, which is not happening unless he's, you know, got a pending murder charge or something. Uh, but no, that, uh, another, you'd have to go to Alabama for that one uh, Florida in State. their basketball program. Uh, Florida State too, uh, mm-hmm. Tamori and Terry. Uh, oh. But uh, another receiver who I was surprised was invited to the combine, but I'm definitely curious to see i don't have particularly high hopes for him there's there's a lot of like weird stuff around this guy but cj johnson from east carolina uh he was he was a pretty high recruit like he he could have gone to like virginia tech and places like that but he went to east carolina for some reason and then as a true freshman uh he put up really awesome numbers and had had some really big games a lot of big plays downfield a lot of of, like touchdown catches over his career uh he's interesting because he's a big receiver at 6'1 225 and uh, his recruiting, his his uh, production kind of indicates he might be a better athlete than generally assumed, in which case, if he's big and he's fast enough, he would be interesting in the NFL because he was both a big yards after the catch guy and a big downfield like fly route guy at East Carolina. So big receivers who can do both of those things is a pretty limited category of player. Uh, the problem is, uh, A, we, Johnson might not run that well. He could just you know, pull a Jamon Osbin or something for all I know. Uh, it would be surprising, but it's not terribly shocking. Uh, and the other thing is he had a bunch of like off the field or, you know, uh, disciplinary issues at East Carolina. And uh, he might be like scratched off a lot of lists for character reasons. But in terms of pure upside, he's way up there in the rankings, even though he's also way at the bottom floor wise. Uh, if, if For all the real Mario heads out there, Go back into the archives back, what was it, 2020 you wrote about him? Uh, after his freshman year, whatever that was, yeah. 
Yeah, I I distinctly Which remember to be that. Too high on him, but it, it did have Sky Moore and Alec Pierce in there, and you know Khalil Shakir. So, yeah, dude. I mean, not surprised that that you nailed it, but you did nail it. Um, so good stuff there, and obviously, again, uh, keep an eye on one C.J. Johnson uh, n- next week. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's move on over to our underdog segment. The 2022 NFL season may be coming to a close, but you can already draft for 2023 on Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft in Underdog's way-too-early best ball format in drafts against your friends and fellow RotoWire listeners. All you have to do is to join a draft is go to their lobby, draft the team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season wins some cold, hard cash. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store. Sign up with promo code RWNFL, and not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but we will also hook you up with a six-month RotoWire subscription with everything Rotowire has to offer for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL. All right, Mario, let's go ahead. Let's dig in and and yes, can attest. Uh Underdog, uh, they are they already have some like kind of big ish uh tournaments uh going out there. I think the, the big board and the little board. Um uh, the big under- board is the ten dollar buy-in that I believe uh says like a million in prizes. I can't remember what the the little board is, but it's buy-in is $3 and it's filling up pretty quick. They might, um, I mean, not to speak for them, but uh, I know with their regular, uh, they're like training camp era contests will sometimes have to start up uh, multiple variations after the first one fills. And then maybe that's on the table for the $3 one. The $10 one seems to still have a decent amount of uh, room left. Well, I, I'm going to have to, to, I'm going at the $10 one. Cause uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to get in on both. Uh, you know what? Uh, I got a little bit of time this week, so I think I'm going to have to dive in. But uh, when we're doing these contests, rookies are obviously part of the equation, Mario. Pretty good transition there. Um, who are some guys at current ADP uh, that that you like and, and guys that you are fading? I, I want to start off, I guess, to not to put words in your mouth, but I, I do need to know. Is Bijan Robinson is his ADP too high for you at thirteen? It is, and not that a w- not in a way that I uh, feel totally safe fading it. I, I I have some amount of anxiety of the idea of having no Bijan Robinson shares because I I do think he's going to be very productive. I I don't think it's a question that he's going to be some version of very productive. But at this price, and we're talking like he often goes in the top twelve stuff like that. He routinely. We'll see him going ahead of Jonathan Taylor, like a, a slew mm-hmm. of guys who like just were running back, you know, one overall types were are going well behind him. And um, that's something that I don't feel comfortable, comfortable about, even if he goes to some team with a clear starting like three down role. Like, I, I, I don't think B. John Robinson is as good of a prospect as Jonathan Taylor. I don't think he's as good of a prospect as Nick Chubb. I uh, don't I'm not convinced that he's better than Saquon Barkley. Uh, you'll see him go ahead of all of those guys, especially in it. I mean, it's especially notable in the case of Taylor and Barkley because they otherwise are on that first round kind of turn. Chubb goes much later. Not that I understand why that's the case. Uh, I, I would rank, I would project Chubb ahead of Robinson this year right now. And uh, part of that's on the basis of just, I think Chubb's the better player, but 
part of it too is that um like not to not to turn this into a chub cast but uh kareem hunt's a free agent and the whole reason anyone ever faded chub in the first place is so like well kareem hunt's better he's like such a he's so awesome at passing downs you don't know anything and uh, now kareem hunt's not doing anything and he's not there and chub's price is lower than ever and like what what happens if deshaun watson's even 85 percent of what he was in houston chub is like mvp candidate if that happens so uh he's going too late uh and and between him taylor uh, Barkley sometimes all going later than than B. John. I I just don't expect myself to draft B. John unless I catch it. Unless I'm in a draft where he just simply slips much lower than he usually does. And I I, I hope I get an opportunity to do something like that. But in the meantime, um, I think I'm comfortable just sitting this out because uh, I know his price isn't going to get lower necessarily, especially if it goes in the first round. But um, people are supposing things about him that at best they know nothing about. And, and I think in some cases are demonstrably just not true. And as long as people believe things that aren't true as underpinning reasons for their, the things that they believe in the, you know, in this case, the, the money they spend in fantasy drafts, I don't want to participate in that market. Cause I, I just don't think there's, I don't think it's lucid. I think that there, there's just like some, some draft truisms that, are, are like, void of understanding and it gets filled with uh, a combination of like carnival barkers and like well-meaning people who just like don't really necessarily know that much and then you get like a third category that reinforces the other two uh on the basis of of uh, attributing consensus or elite uh consensus to either of the two and so you get like uh in this case i guess an interesting example would be um i i, I was probably too dismissive of the guy initially but uh roshan johnson is getting a lot of, uh, I I think he's like the running back 16. I, I ranked him a little too low in the pre comment. I ranked him at like 18 or something. Um, but you're seeing a lot of hype for him to go in uh, like the first rounds of like D- dynasty rookie drafts. And like, they're saying he's going to go ahead of uh, all these other guys who to me have already demonstrated like clear round two kind of credentials. And this is a guy who uh, was a backup his whole career and I know someone, so some spectacular guy out there is probably waiting to say like, do you know who Priest Holmes is? And yes, I know who Priest Holmes is. But if you're banking on another Priest Holmes happening, and that's the kind of exception magnitude we're talking about here, you're, you're getting something more likely otherwise than that and something that you're not uh, keeping in mind as a possibility, which is that maybe he was a backup. And not just a backup, you know, not not just that B. John Robinson was ahead of him, but Roshan Johnson was not reliably separating from that other guy, that fast one that they had on the bench. Uh, I can't remember his name. Kind of funny spelled name. Keelan, I remember. Keelan Robinson? No, the other one. Uh, it's, it's it's like Jonathan maybe something. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, Roshan Johnson has no conventional excuse for having the workload that he did in college and, and not having better numbers to show for it than he did and still great as like a serious prospect in the first four rounds. You can find guys like Samaj P. Ryan, you know, he held off Joe Mixon when he was at Oklahoma. Uh, there's, there's no, even if it's a, even if it's an example of a running back having a superior uh, on their team, it's not a basis for being as inactive as it's not a, it's not a justification for being as inactive as Johnson was. Cause we got a case like P Ryan, probably not as good as Joe Mixon. He didn't get turned into a six carry per game player. Uh, Keontae Ingram ran ahead of Roshan Johnson when he was at Texas. So these are all things to keep in mind 
that I think um, indicate heavy, heavy uh, precedents, like really, really reliable multi-decade stuff. Yeah. And yet, because there's there's uh, there's all these people who are just kind of saying like, actually, Roshan Johnson's going to be great, and it's a combination of two things. I think one is just the general. A lot of people like this dynasty thing to be like some kind of mystic quest kind of thing where they're all <laughs> going on a you know like a fellowship of the ring kind of thing where we're like we're we're going out into this this fun magical world where we find out unlikely uh novel stories or whatever and they need it to be more complicated than it actually is you know looking at tape of him and being like well he looks kind of like this one guy when he breaks this one tackle and then there's this other thing that came out about uh the number of missed tackles that he generates uh per touch or whatever so that, uh, basically a misunderstanding of proprietary metrics that are poorly tabulated those two things are leading to Roshan Johnson being widely uh, considered like a top five, like it's near consensus already that he's a top five rookie in this draft. And John, that's hilarious. No, that, that, that's, that ain't it chief. Um, and then uh, one last lingering thought on, on Bijan. I don't like giving myself no room for profit with my early draft picks. And especially if like, it, it's something that's been relatively unproven or in this case, a, a rookie, like there, there's this. It's gonna be so hard if you take him at, at twelve or thirteen to like profit fully off of that. So, so. yeah, so that's that's Bijan. It, it's the case. Uh, but I, sorry, so Roshan, I would not participate with his ADP market. But the guys who you want to get at at the rookie running backs to me are pretty clearly Devin Achain, who uh, people are writing off because of his frame or whatever. Um, yep, one forty six. Zach Charbonnet, who is. What a lot of people are trying to see in Roshan Johnson, basically, yeah, uh, it, it's it's just there in Charbonnet's case. I I do I do love Charbonnet. I, I'm glad Charbonnet, that, that um, you're, you're in on him as well. Uh, like like my favorite Steely Dan song, "Get Along, Kid Charlemagne." Charbonnet, yes. Uh, John, the other two, really Ty J Spears one. was like 155 in the ADP the last I looked. He's never going to get higher than that, so don't don't participate in that one. And the other one I think is going to slip is Tank Bigsby who uh, people are taking rank like preseason running back rankings, you know, uh, and, and drafting based on that. Uh, they're taking Bigsby too high. Uh, like, I feel like Bigsby got a raw deal at Auburn. But he's at a the solid same... player. He's just, he's just like a, I don't know, like to me, he's a round five kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, like it, there was a, the deck was stacked against him these last two years, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But it, even still, like it, there's only so much that you can you can forgive basically um, in that profile. Um, quickly, a one minute snippet, Mario. Where are you on one Kayshawn Boutte at 134? That's a little high for me. I like in Dynasty, I have fewer concerns than in redraft. There's there's a case for plenty of concern in both, but. Uh, I worry about Butte in redraft in best ball scenarios a little bit more because um, we don't know where he's going to get drafted. And I think his talent is, is pretty clearly demonstrated, but the level of immediate opportunity is not. And at one thirty or so, I feel like you're, you're banking on him playing you know, like you're betting that he's going to play 700 plus snaps as a rookie. And I don't know if we can take that. Like if some team, if he falls into the second on the basis of like character concerns, it could end up in a rich get richer kind of scenario for some team that already has pretty good receivers. And then they're like, Oh, look at this. We got him as our wide receiver four, and now no one can stop our passing game. Like I worry about that kind of thing with Boutte. Whereas uh, with the other guys, uh, they're going to get drafted so high that whatever team takes them has to give them pretty right. much a three down roll right away. 
Yeah. So, so he, he's a really interesting case in that respect. And of course it'll be really interesting to see um, how he performs at, at the combine. But yeah, like the, like you said, there is potential for, for him getting dinged for, for the character concerns. Oh, he deleted things off his social media after the, after he got three targets against Florida state. Uh, let, let's uh, yeah, he wanted let's... to leave there, by the way, there was a lot, he had a lot of problems with that, t- with the team this year. And, and so I wouldn't go calling his production like entirely attributable to him. Like he, he, he lost a little bit. Yes. But like there was problems yeah. on that team. Uh, also yeah. real quick, the receivers, I really like an underdog, uh, Tyler Scott. He's, he's, really uh, glaring value right now. And I think Hutchinson and Xavier Hutchinson's a good one in the 20th okay. round too. Yep. Uh, those are two interesting guys. I definitely want to want to talk a little bit more about Hutchinson uh, next week as well, but uh, let's get rounded out for uh, our underdog segment. And again, go ahead, sign up at underdog using that promo code RWNFL, get your first deposit matched up to hundred dollars, get that free six month road to wire subscription. That's a pretty sweet deal. All things considered, RWNFL again is that promo code over at Underdog Fantasy App Store uh, online. However, you want to go sign up, go ahead and do it. Mario, let's finish out the show here talking about your tight end article because it, feel, it feels like manna from the heavens. It's been a little while since we've had a tight end class that's deep. And like it's legit, than you know, I thought I thought initially that it wasn't very good, but I was surprised writing the article of how uh, convincing I found a few of these uh, people that I didn't know anything about previously. So obviously the the, the headliner is one Michael Mayer. Um, he's someone that that I've known about for a while. I think he has one of my all time favorite twenty four seven headshots. Um, so I follow recruiting, or at least you you know like as much as like you. I'm supposed to for for the the job that I have. Uh, I'm not you know down in in the in the weeds of the top you know, or like outside of the top 300 or, or type of thing. But but right. Mayor always caught my eye because he was a five star recruit as a tight end, and that's rare. Yeah. That that's not something that happens very often. I thought you were uh, just talking about the headshot, and I was like, yeah, he does look like he's been on like an HGH regimen. No, like from the, the uh, neck is cr- the neck yeah, is crazy. The neck in his picture is like the it's like the size of like a, a Christmas he has hand. He a gorilla skull. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I was immediately just like, who is this guy? And then, uh, you know, Cole Komet leaves, uh, I guess, right as as Mayor was coming in. And I think Mayor we know, was, yeah, not truly why Komet left, but it was a good idea that he did. Yeah, very. very yeah, that, that would have been a tough look for him. But um, go ahead and. and Give the people what, what they need to know about, about one Michael Mayer. So Mayer's not quite as insane of a prospect as he could appear at a glance from his numbers. I think he's pretty awesome as a prospect, but uh, he was, I think, 19 his true freshman year. So it's he's not uh, – whereas if he had been – He looks like most, a guy you got held back to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. So um, if, he, if, he was, if he was the same age that freshman year as most true freshmen are – then it would be even crazier that he had more pass catching production than Tommy Tremble, who ended up being a third round pick. But um, he, he was, he was 19 at the time. And uh, so his, his, his true freshman year is not as positive of an indicator as it, as it might look at a glance. It's still positive. It's just um, it, 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 it's, it's merely pretty good, uh, but it got a lot better from that point yet. And then I guess his, uh, his second year, it was uh, Kevin Austin was like a fifth or sixth year receiver. And th- those two kind of uh, 
had like a co-team lead on all the receiving production. So that's a, a good look for a age 20 season tight end too, because he, he basically was a team lead type of pass catcher and with plus efficiency. And the, the next guy closest to him, who was, who was, you know, otherwise taking the most production from, from mayor share was this guy who was, uh, you know, like three years older and, and was at least an NFL fringe prospect. So uh, that's, that's, those are reassuring things to see. But also, Mayer just checks out really easily from like a film standpoint. I know some people they look at how big he is, or they look at they see that two sixty and they kind of go like, "Oh, but he's going to end up being a blocker." And um, he he may well be a plus blocker. I don't actually know that, and I don't care. But if you watch him line up at Notre Dame, he does plenty of wide receiver reps. He's totally fine lining up in the slot or even all the way out wide. And even though he looks. I, th- I think another problem anytime a player is like really big and stockily built like him, you'll have people trying to guess their speed based on tape and just do a horrible job of it because they'll they'll see a person who is basically like registering as kind of like too big to their eyes and they'll misattribute it as too slow. It's like, no, you just you're seeing something that your eyes are having trouble processing because it's freakish that someone this big is moving like this. So instead of being uh, instead of you know just detect detecting that correctly initially, you're you're kind of like your your mind's making up just kind of like a wrong story to try to make it make sense to you. But you see it all the time, guys who are big and and just look huge. Albert Quagmanum has this problem all the time. A lot of mm-hmm. the idiot Broncos coaches are like Greg Dulcich faster. Dulcich is faster, two tenths of a second difference in the forty, not a chance. Um, so there's, there's a case like that with Meyer too, where he's so huge. People look at him and just think he's slow, but it's like, he's making plays downfield, not routinely granted. Like most of his stuff was underneath. Um, but that's, I think because he was a workhorse receiver, it's like, you have to make jab catches. If you're the workhorse receiver, you can't just make your whole living doing play action post routes. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, yeah. Like you said, like the, the entire passing game, especially the, these last two years, more than um, a third of the share last year too insane and it's not like he was working with particularly good quarterbacks either i mean jack Cohn was better than i thought he was going to be at notre dame but i mean the the drew pine tyler buckner combo was and when you're a wisconsin cast off it's like come on i know and and mayor still yeah mayor just rocked it um so he's he's the best tight end prospect in a little while and, and interestingly enough looking at um the underdog um adp him and cole Komet are right next to each other um, or no, they, they're right next to each other in the rankings. Uh, Mayor goes a, a couple rounds uh, after Komet, actually. But in I your mind, I mean, Mayor straight up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I he's, I w- yeah. he's at risk of ending up in a bad situation, which, to be fair to Komet, is something that he's dealing with. Uh, not that I'm I'm not saying that negatively refields. Re- I just don't trust the Bears at all with anything. No. So uh, but Mayor, if he ends up in a if he ends up in like a competitive functional passing game, I I don't see why he would fail to to crack. I don't know, like the top ten at tight end. We're, we're uh, I guess we're a little bit far off. But have you have you thought about a, a like a g- good landing spot for him if he ends up going in the first? Huh. Um. I. By the way, I think Mayer will for sure go in the first round. I think. I think he's. The question is whether he goes in like the top fifteen or just the top twenty five. Like he's, for instance, he's an easily better prospect than. Assuming he doesn't run like a four nine, he's easily a better prospect than TJ Hawkinson. And uh, so I, I not that Hawkinson at eight was a good idea, but it's like it's in the realm of possibility to me, especially because whoever takes mayor is not getting fired for that pick. You know, like he's 
he's going to be some version of of quite good. And I, I could imagine some team even trading up to get him. And I, I guess I hope that happens. I hope like the Bengals trade up for him or something, or uh, I don't know, somebody. I know that the, the Chargers we we've established the Chargers need more speed, but Mayor would be kind of you know he'd fill a need. He there. he would work great with Herbert because Mayor's really good at making those like keep away kind of catches. Like he's it's it's kind of ridiculous, but he's he's so barrel chested that it's kind of like hard to defend passes against him because it's like it's just like trying to knock a pass from the other side of a vending machine or something. It's like you can be right there and it's it's still just kind of really hard to get there. Um so uh Herbert working with close windows like he does would turn Mayer into an like automatic first down machine and touchdown machine. Um but yeah I I it would be cool too if, if they added a little speed a, a little later and, and created some room for, for Mayer and, and like a, a, a downfield post route for, for Herbert to really uh, get everything cracking at, at full throttle. But um, yeah, whoever Mayer is probably the kind of talent that there are only five or six teams on which he would get drafted and not Wally Pip, whoever is already there. Yeah, no, he he's, he's different. Um, and uh, just <laughs> The build, like I said, the the neck. Uh, he sat out of of Notre Dame's bowl game, and they were talking to him on the sidelines. And he just one of the bulkiest human beings I've I've ever seen. Like just like the the definition of meathead. And then uh, la- last question. H- I I like the guy. Like don't get me wrong, but like holy crap. Um, do you like or not like the fact that Notre Dame would would play the Halloween music whenever like you would catch a pass. I liked it personally. I thought that was a nice Oh, uh, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah, I can I can see that. Cuz he cuz uh, he's scary, Michael Meyer, like eh, it works. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's spooky. Uh, mm-hmm. like a spooky uh, lumberjack or something. Um <laughs> but uh what was it good? Oh, those other. Uh, I just didn't know how much time we had left on. So I was oh, we, we got uh, we got time, man. Um, so oh, okay. Go well, ahead. Then the Michael Mayer the the, the Michael Mayer pod is re extended. We're we're going we're opening it for even more. Um, but no, I was just gonna say that I got, there's a, there's a couple others that I that I think were kind of interesting. But uh, I'm not actually that high on Dalton Kincaid that some people are projecting as like a first some round. Some people candidate. are. Cri- can you explain why they're why th- things are that crazy on him? Like like numbers, Brent Keithy was a was a bigger prospect going into this year than he I'm was. Sorry, how do you say that? Keithy. Okay. No. So that was someone that I learned of in the course of writing this article. And yeah, I was like, why the hell is this guy putting up numbers the same as Kincaid and no one's talking about him. And the Keithy guy went back to school for like a ninth year and uh, Kincaid, uh, he was productive in 2021. He was, he was super, super uh, explosive and efficient to be fair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. High touchdown, high catch rate, high yards per target, all a credit to him, but he was doing it in a part-time role. He was not doing it as the guy who, who the defense focuses on. And he was already at an NFL age at that point. Like he was 22 his, uh, in, in 2021. So this year, Kincaid is 23. And he still doesn't really take off to full capacity until Keithy guy gets hurt in week four. So um, to be fair, again, to, to, to also be fair to Kincaid, uh, at the University of San Diego, he put up big numbers uh, like three years ago before he transferred to Utah. But even then, he was 20 and a half. Like he was older at that San Diego season than Kyle Pitts was when he was a rookie in the NFL. 
Mm. Uh, that's an extreme illust- case, I, I understand, but it's 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 a uh, to illustrate that this guy could have been in the NFL the last two years or three years if he were following basic precedent. And it's like, what? Imagine the number of guys who otherwise were unremarkable tight ends in the NFL uh, who came into the league at 21 or 22. Imagine them going back to school for another two or three years. Like, don't you think a lot of them would all of a sudden one day just start being way productive because they're just old? You know, like that's the kind of thing that I worry about with Kincaid. And not just that, at 6'4", 230, or sorry, 6'4", 240, I worry that he will uh, measure in at less than 240. He doesn't look fast to me. Uh, And the reason I say fast and not some version of not slow is that when you are that small, when you're that light as a tight end, you accordingly need to be that much faster than the average tight end to make up for your, your deficit. And instead what I see in Kincaid is a guy who's just too slow to play receiver and too small to play in line tight end. And uh, he's got, he like knows how to run routes. He knows probably how to like sit in zones and doesn't drop passes. And he's credible after the catch and stuff like that. But basically I see him making a lot of catches that just aren't going to happen in the NFL. And I see a lot of, yardage on his catches that will get stopped sooner in the NFL and things of that sort. So uh, where I'm going with all this is I can see Kincaid as a second round pick, especially if he tests well. And uh, to me, he should easily break the four, seven flat mark. Uh, that, that would be what Greg Dulcich ran last year. I think Greg Dulcich is a, a false wide receiver, false tight end type. So for me to think Kincaid is better He'll need to run like a four, six, five, something like that, which he could. And I'd have to give him credit if he did. I just kind of don't see it in the meantime. Um, but, you know, he, he's, he's, he's got a chance to run still. Uh, I think Sam Laporta from Iowa is on paper, though, as good of a prospect as Kincaid. And I don't. Interesting. Um, you see some no one talks have, about him. Right. You see some people who are kind of like, this guy's a good sleeper. But I, I feel like he has pretty much every. I think he's faster than Kincaid at 10 pounds heavier almost. Uh, I think uh, his production shows uh, grades absolutely as well as Kincaid's does. So, uh, but yeah, you see people talk about Laporta like he's a fifth rounder and Kincaid. Sometimes you see people calling him a, a potential first rounder. And that to me makes no sense. So give us a little bit more background on, on Laporta. Iowa tight end. Um, obvious, I, I think people will, you know, for, for better, or for worse. And, and you know, I, I think on, on a human level, I, I can understand Wanting to skip, uh, other than the offensive oh. line, wanting to skip the uh, Iowa offense. I almost did, John. I wanted yeah. to skip. I did not want to think Sam Laporta was good, but I was like, no, doing my, you know, in good faith due diligence, and I was like, okay, let's, let's mm. plug in these Iowa numbers, see how they look. And uh, in Laporta's case, the reason I had to look closer was that he was putting up, like he was carrying their stupid offense. Like it was, it was a disgusting offense that Iowa runs, but. He was their lead receiver, and without him, they would have been just completely hopeless. And I think a lot of his production, the, the way that it doesn't jump out, is just due to the fact that he was playing on a pretty high difficulty level, doing as much lifting for Iowa as he did uh, with, the, with the team's circumstances being as they were. Uh, like Specifically, you don't see a lot of yards per target with him. It's, it's low. It's around like seven, whereas with Kincaid, it's like 12. Um, and I think that's just because Utah's offense was explosive and Iowa's was a disaster. Like when like Iowa's offenses are generally not that great, but this is a, a pretty dark age, even for them. And uh, Laporta was their lead, basically receiver. And he produced high share percentages with uh, efficiency returns that were way above the team baseline. And when you watch the tape, you don't see anything to really dissuade you from 
uh, crediting him. Like he makes a lot of good plays. I will say he doesn't seem that toolsy. Like he's probably, um, even though he's 10 pounds heavier than Kincaid and, and a guy like Dulcich, uh, Laporta is still only like average build at most by broader tight end standards. Those guys are just really small. Um, and I don't think he's obviously fast, but I think he is a case of who will probably prove to be like just fast, just quick enough, like a 250 exactly average size with like maybe a maybe like a 472 or something that technically grades as like 59th percentile at tight end. And as long as Laporta does something along those lines, I think he I think he could I think he would struggle to fall past the third round. And I think he could crash the second. And, you know, but um I think taking an Iowa tight end more often than not, not a bad idea. Yeah, I wish he was as t- uh, uh, toolsy as Kittle. He's not, but the thing is, Kittle's a total freak. It was just stupid that he fell as far in his draft as he did. So Laporta can be like the poor man's Kittle and still be an above average tight end in the NFL. Uh, and not to, skip, not to skip your guy, Darnell Washington. He's the real Let's life talk. tight end. He's the real life tight end, too. It's just tar- it's hard to tell in fantasy if he's going to get as many target opportunities as especially guys like Kincaid and uh, Laporta who uh, I, d- I like I don't understand why people like him for fantasy and I, I love Darnell Washington? Washington yeah do people like him for fan- I hadn't I hadn't I, seen that people see people seem to be high on him for dynasty um oh. or maybe maybe I'm reading that wrong or, or conflating just uh if he lands with like draft the chargers capital. if he lands with an elite quarterback he'll be good in fantasy on the basis of touchdowns but yes he can only be good on the basis of touchdowns yeah, that, that's basically it. I mean, he as as like cool as it is to see what it kind of would look like if LeBron James played in the NFL. Like he he also looks like if LeBron James was playing in the NFL with cement in his shoes. Yeah, maybe maybe like Ben Wallace playing football, something like that. That, that would that's the only ba- basketball jersey I own is a Ben, ben Wallace, Wallace is, Pistons is, is jersey. It's like a top three player in my mind. Um, but but yeah. Uh, I think Washington Washington's really interesting from a real life uh, fan uh, football standpoint. In fantasy, he's like a guy you can take him if you, if your draft goes past a certain depth, I guess. But as far as a priority target, it would have to be like you start three tight ends and they all get two point PPR or something uh, before I would think about Washington in like the first four rounds or anything in a, a dynasty draft. Yeah, so I mean, he was hurt a decent bit his first couple of years. Um, has three total touchdowns to his name. Um, he's basically the, in the NFL. He he would be a killer. Uh, he he would be like a, a a real break a matchup that would be really difficult to uh, defend if you're trying to stop a run game with five man fronts. Like if you're doing that stuff that the Titans were seeing, and if if Washington's on the field when when defenses tried that, uh, that fifth lineman who's over Washington perhaps is cutting Washington loose on the play action. And it's, it's a big play down the seam, Uh, but he's not running, you know, like curls from the slot. No, do not make him do that. It will, will not go well. Um, Any other tight ends that, that we need to touch on uh, before we head out of here. I saw, I saw Cam Latu uh, on your list. I, I think he's a little bit interesting. He's kind of interesting because he should be a pretty good athlete. Like he was a pretty high recruit as like an edge defender for Alabama. But I don't know. I, I don't know that much about tight end. But when I watched him, I couldn't really I couldn't really tell whether he was doing well 
and uh, his production doesn't you know, like I don't see like the slam dunk you know big play draw like I did, I didn't turn on highlights and really care about what I saw so I think he's kind of like a toolsy project who probably goes in like five or six or something like that. Okay, he had but, uh, and, oh, sorry. again th- this is anecdotal, um, but the national championship game against Georgia um, he did get chased down, but it was by Keely Ringo, um, who I think is going to run sub four four. So you can't really blame him too much for for that one. But he, I mean, he, you know, it was a 60 yard gain in that one. He also uh, caught a touchdown in, in that game. So that just more so caught my attention. I, I thought that he was a good like chain moving type of guy with, with a little bit of, of something. More he might have, he, he might run something surprisingly fast. I mean, some he's uh, not that it's truly like Raheem Jarrett, but because Latu was a high recruit, it, it is reasonable to, to maybe, um, you know, consider the possibility that he's, he's a uncommon athlete. Uh, so he's, he's got something to work with. I think he'll get drafted. I just don't see him drawing targets in the next couple of years in the NFL. Another one that okay. I think you can, I think you can also ignore Will Mallory. I think he's, you know, just a good college player. He's going to be a, a tight end three in the NFL. I am interested in a, a few guys as sleeper types. Uh, one Payne Durham at Purdue. He's this really heavy tight end who was, almost like a poor man's mayor, honestly. I mean, he was carrying the Purdue kind of per, a possession passing game, and he was also a pretty busy red zone target. And uh, he was he was efficient with it, and that's you don't really see usually tight ends that big working as much as pass catchers, uh, specifically the target volume that Durham did. So if he tests competently at the combine, I think he's got an outside chance at crashing round two. I'd, I'd be surprised if he fell past the fourth. Uh, Josh Weil at Cincinnati looks like he could be pretty fast. Uh, he seems seems pretty explosive for a 6'7", 260 type. And uh, Luke Musgrave at Oregon State is a bit of a wild card because uh, if he if he grades well at the combine, he would, in that case, have uh, an uncommon uh, set of tools to work with. And his Oregon State production was pretty good, but then he got hurt this year. So it's, it's kind of hard to know uh, what he is exactly. Yeah, because I knew the production wasn't great on Musgrave, but everyone seems to love him. So I, I was wondering was if he's... two wo- games this year, and he was splitting time with that Tegan Catoriano or whatever who went in the fifth round. So I, I think you can consider the fifth round Musgrave's floor. Like, he's supposed to be better than Catoriano, especially as a receiver. Okay. All right. So got the eye on, on Musgrave. Uh, we'll, we'll see how he, how he does um, at, at the Combine. Um, that's going to wrap things up for us here on the Roadwire. Fantasy Football Podcast, again, pre- presented by our friends over at Underdog. Use that promo code RWNFL. Get your six-month subscription over RotoWire. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. 
For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.